Now it's time for Rod and Real Radio with your hosts, Hopalong John Cassidy, fresh and saltwater expert angler Stan Vanderberg, and all-around outdoors fishing and hunting enthusiast Wendy Toshihara. If you love the outdoors, enjoy salt or freshwater fishing, this is the show for you. We'll cover most all of the fishing tournaments and events with special reports while providing you with the information you need as to how and where to experience the best fishing opportunities in Southern California, Baja, Alaska, or just about anywhere the fish are biting. Rod and Real Radio brought to you by El Cajon Ford at Broadway and Main or online at ElCajonFord.com. Whether it's time for a new or used car or truck or you need to take advantage of San Diego's best quick lane for service with genuine Ford parts, brand name tires at competitive prices, remember nobody beats El Cajon Ford. We have some fantastic guests and reports lined up for you this evening, so sit back, relax, and get ready for the fastest two hours in radio. It's all right here, right now, on Rod and Real Radio, the best stop on your radio. Radio dial for all the information you need for fishing opportunities all over the United States. Now here's your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. Well, Mark Larson, thank you in Southern California. Welcome again to another Sunday night of Rod and Reel Radio. I am indeed your underfished host, Hop Along, John Cassidy, and it is a pleasure for us to welcome you to tonight's show. I know there's a lot of things happening out there football games, all kinds of things. But hey, spend two hours with us, and I think we're going to make it worth your while. Let me give you a little rundown of the guests that we have for you tonight. First of all, this individual qualified for the 2019 Bassmaster Classic, but he probably did it in the most difficult way that you could ever imagine. We've had a lot of pros on that are fishing the Classic, but this is going to be a story you're going to want to hear. And then later on, we have the lead engineer for the San Diego Port District, Mr. Eric Guerrero, is going to be with us. I think he has some timely information that we're going to want to hear on the opening of the Shelter Island launch ramp. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. And then later on in the show, Captain Evan Salve will be with us. You know, we had Captain Evan on last week. He was on the winning team that won the Bisbee Tournament down in Cabo San Lucas, went the next week and fished the Cabo Tuna uh, Challenge jackpot and did extremely well there. We're going to catch up with Evan again and find out how the rest of his stay down in Cabo San Lucas went. But before we get into that, let me introduce to you the co-host of Ron Real Radio. She is the national sales manager for Iserline represents many other fine products in the fishing industry. Miss Wendy Toshihara. Wendy, howdy. Hello there, and how are you tonight, John? Hey, I am doing great, you know, getting ready for uh, Thanksgiving, going to be uh, going up to Seattle to visit with the grandkids, and just looking forward to having a great holiday. How about yourself, Wendy? Yeah, um, you know, I took my dog out to go look for some birds and do a little training, today and so we finally just got home for the radio show but uh next week hopefully we're we're uh, gonna be ready to go get some birds all right well that sounds good hey wendy let's get to our first guest this individual is as far as i know the only california resident to qualify for this year's Bassmaster Classic. I think Ish, no, I don't know if Ish Monroe made it or not, but let me introduce our listening audience to him. He is out of Oakland, California, 
Mr. Randy Pearson. Randy, how you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Well, we are doing great here. Normally, we have Stan Vandenberg with us. Uh, Stan is in Texas, and he's with the family over uh, right now. He was biting at the bit because he <laughs> wanted to be part of this interview, too, Randy. Anytime we've got a proficient bass fisherman on, Stan's always there, but I can't tell you how much we appreciate you taking some of your Sunday to be with us. Oh, definitely not a problem. I look forward to it and uh, filling you in on a few things and telling my story a little bit. Well, hey, and let's let's get right to doing that, if you will. You know, uh, you qualified for the Bassmaster Classic in really one of the most difficult ways that I know of. And before we get to that process, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you involved in fishing, going all the way up to the Western Championships at uh, Clear Lake, which was uh, the tournament before the qualifying tournament that you were in? Correct. Um, you know, I'm I'm from Oakdale, California, located in the Central Valley, uh, right near oh, yeah. Modesto, and I fish. The Mother Load Lakes a lot, uh, Don Pedro, Lake McClure, New Maloney's. Um, so when California Bass Nation, I just started fishing California Bass Nation two years ago, and I made the state team two years ago and went to Shasta, and I was second for the team then, so I didn't advance, and you have to be first to advance to the national championship. So this year... Uh, California Bass Nation, they had five tournaments for the season, and you qualify for the state team through those five tournaments. So if you win one of the tournaments, you automatically get a berth uh, on the state team, and they take 10 boaters and 10 non-boaters. So there's five, five that qualify from each individual tournament, and then the next five qualify for the, the total points for their best three out of five tournaments. So the first tournament was at New Maloney's. I fished that, and I finished second. So uh, I think Jim Grady ended up winning that. So I had to go to the next tournament, which was at Lake Orville, who, ironically, I drew uh, Luke Jones on the second day, who was with, I, you know, that's who I traveled with to the national championship. So I ended up uh, being fortunate enough to win Lake Orville, uh, to qualify for the state team. So I was in on the state team then, so I was done fishing. I didn't have to fish the last three events. Wow, that's pretty so, neat. Now, just quickly tell us, uh, for a lot of us that aren't familiar with what exactly the Bass Nation events are, what what type of fishermen comprise the Bass Nation? Uh, the Bass Nation... You know, anyone can fish it. You just have to be a member of Bassmasters, and you have to be a, a member of a affiliated club that's uh, with the Bassmasters and Bass Nation. And they take non-boaters and boaters, and the entry fee, I mean, it's, it's pretty inexpensive. So if someone's looking at beginning getting into bass fishing, it's, it's pretty much a really good direction, especially for beginning fishermen to go as non-boaters. Um, because you can, if you draw the right person, you can learn a lot where guys for guide trips, uh, you know, charge quite a bit. And, uh, just for a, a small entry fee tournament, if you draw one of those guys that 
guide as well, um, you could get it for a discount and you'll see, you'll be able to see their best, uh, methods and, and best water and everything. And, and pretty much the guys need to, to learn to see different methods and it's, it's pretty informative for them. So you, uh, you, you won the qualifying tournaments and it qualified you to go to the Western regionals. Now this is really, uh, a ground roots type of a, a system of bringing guys up, giving them the chance to, to fish the Bassmaster Classic. So now you get a chance to fish the Western Classic, which was probably at a lake that you were pretty familiar with. Yes, it, it actually was uh, uh, on a lake that I'm fairly, I mean, pretty really familiar with. It's about three and a half hours north of me up at Clear Lake. And the story... There's a little bit more to the story. It's kind of ironic. Uh, we were hearing rumors that it was going to be held at Coeur d'Alene in Idaho because there's 11 western states that make up the regional finals. There's 10, 10 boats uh, or 10 boaters and 10 non-boaters from each state. So there's roughly 100 and, 110 boats. So we were hearing that it could be at Coeur d'Alene in Idaho and everything because it was at Lake Shasta the previous year. So I was going to be pretty much out of not fishing that tournament because my daughter, they announced the dates of the tournament and it was the final day was the day my daughter graduated from high school. So I I already just told myself, well, I'm not going to be going because it's too far and I'm not missing my daughter's graduation. So then we got the word that, they were holding it at Clear Lake. Then I'm starting to do the numbers in my head, figuring, well, if I drive, if I was to leave the way in at a certain time and, you know, maybe a few minutes early, if I happen to make the final day on Friday, I could get back in time for graduation. And so I talked to my wife and everything, and she said, well, go ahead and go to the tournament. And the tournament was a Wednesday, Thursday, where everyone fished. And then Friday only the top three from each state would fish on the final day. Mm-hmm. So so the tournament rolled around, and after the first day, I was sitting in second place for the state of California. And I think overall in the tournament, I was probably somewhere around ninth or so. Or, I mean, I was in the top ten, I think, but I don't remember exactly where. So then the second day, I went out, and I had another solid day, so I ended up moving up into first for California, and I think I was about fifth overall out of all the all the states and everything. So then the final day, I talked to uh, the director and let him know my situation. And I I didn't even bring it up until then because I figured it was you know irrelevant if I didn't make the final day. So once I did that, and they had the college fishing going on as well, so they they let me. Um, come in and, and just weigh in first. So on Friday, I weighed in. I was the first boat to weigh in. Uh, I weighed in right in the middle of the college kids. And uh, I was leading for California, and I was obviously leading for the tournament overall because I was the only one that weighed in. So I hopped in the truck and, and drove home. And I was trying to trying to watch the weigh-in live, but at Clear Lake, we go through a section about 40 minutes where we have no cell coverage. So I wasn't aware uh, what was going on. And when I came back into cell coverage about Williams, 
I saw that I was actually still leading the tournament, but I was still first for California. I mean, at that time, it's, it's not really – you don't care where you're at overall in the tournament as long as you're first for your state because uh, each state winner advances to the national championship uh, for the boater and the non-boater. So just driving home, and, and I was worried about trying to get home for my daughter's graduation. I'm looking at the clock. I'm looking at the phone. So I was kind of a ball full of emotions uh, driving. And then uh, when I saw the other two California guys uh, weigh in, and, and um, one was Adrian Muir and the other was Nick Wood, both class acts. I mean, as soon as they weighed in, they actually sent me text messages congratulating me and everything so i mean just it it's kind of a neat group everyone works for each other and cheers for each other when they can't do it so it was it was pretty awesome so meanwhile driving home i was emotional uh i made the national championship and now i'm concerned about my daughter's graduation so i get back into oakdale unload the boat go to the school i'm on the phone with my wife I can't find a parking spot. I have to park a mile from the wow. the high school. So so I I get out of my truck. I'm looking at the time. I talk to my wife, and she says, they're starting graduation now. So I'm 47. I used to be in pretty good shape. Well, now I'm running, jogging, I mean, trying to get there, trying to get there. So I run a mile. I come into the stadium, and... I'm looking for my wife in the bleachers, and she's on the phone with me. I get up on the base of the bleachers, and I'm coming, and I get on the phone with her, and she's like, Megan is right there. So I turn, and my daughter is coming across the stage right as I'm getting into the stadium. So I got to see everything. So it was pretty amazing. Excellent. Just excellent. Just, uh, that's a story unto itself. But going back to Clear Lake, Clear Lake's been fishing awful dicey here uh, this year, and I don't know if it's because of a lot of the ash from the fire or anything like that. Just uh, uh, quickly review with us, what what was your technique in fishing Clear Lake that made you successful there? So Clear Lake, um, I, I went up and I practiced a couple of days before, and I had one five-pounder in practice that I caught out a little bit deep on an underspin, probably 15 feet. But there was some fish that were showing up on beds and some fish that weren't. And it was kind of every stage, pre-spawn, spawn, and post-spawn. Um, so I went to a couple areas, and I was throwing a uh, river-to-sea rover and just going along. And, and I had quite a few fish blow up on it, but a couple of them ate it. and Nothing over three pounds, and I never really caught much over three pounds. So then I went to a couple different areas and just bounced around. So then the last day of practice, I found an air, two different areas that I thought, okay, this, this could work. So my primary pattern, um, I was uh, throwing the River to Sea Rover, and then I was changing it up, uh, catching fish on a, uh, a Z-Man, uh, a fatty Z-Bait. And I was doing that, and then I was also drop shotting a keeper worm, and a 082, and then uh, a robo worm, uh, I think it was a margarita mutilator. So I just kind of, my main pattern was a river to sea rover, and then the Ned rig 
uh, Z-Man Nedrick. All right. Hey, we are speaking with uh, Randy Pearson. Uh, he was just telling us how he won the Western Classic for the Bass Nation. That allowed him the opportunity to go to the national championships. We're going to find out how Randy did in the national championships. Randy, we got to take a break right now. Can we get you to stay on for one more segment with us? Absolutely. All right. Hey, Wendy Toshihara and I, we will be back after these messages. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect, finally a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main and El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel specially heat treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. I got a garage full of fishing tackle, and every time I get out on the water, I realize I forgot something important. But I never forget my life jacket. I make sure my buddies wear theirs, too. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Angler's Arsenal is the serious angler's first choice for hand-poured plastics, McCoy line, Spro products, Gamakatsu hooks, G. Loomis fishing rods, Shimano products, Ovet reels, and just about anything you hear advertised on Rod and Reel Radio. Go to anglersarsenal.com and visit our online tackle store. See the huge selection of Western Plastics hand-poured baits, all at anglersarsenal.com. Come join us at our new location in Lakeside. That's right, we've moved. Come see us at our new location at 12255 Woodside Avenue in Lakeside. California. Quantum Fishing's gone and done it again for you with the brand new redesigned Smoke PT Reel Series. Everything from your spinning reels all the way to your bait casters, the PTA design has the new PTXA frame. Lighter, stronger, bone crushing drag. Quantum Fishing, we are performance tuned. Check them out at Angler's Arsenal in La Mesa or anglersarsenal.com or give us a call at 619 466 8355. Hi, this is BSS record holder Dean Rojas. El Cajon Ford helped me when I got started in my career, and let them help you with a new F-Series Ford truck. And remember, nobody beats El Cajon Ford. Thank you, Dean. Hey, we want to welcome you all back to Ron Real Radio. Wendy Toshihara and I are manning the helm tonight. Stan Vandenberg 
He's out in Texas uh, visiting with family and uh, sends his regrets, but we'll have Stan on, obviously, with us in a couple of weeks. We're speaking with Randy Pearson, and we're going through the road that Randy made or traveled to qualify for the 2019 Bassmaster Classic. Now, he told us about the story of him qualifying in the state championships but in winning the state championships, he had the opportunity to fish in the national championships for the birth for the Bassmaster Classic. And, Randy, you had a chance to pre-fish the lake where the championships were going to be. And from what I've been able to read, it is probably one of the most important pre-fishes you've probably ever done in your life. It, it definitely was. Um, I went up during, uh, right before the off limits, which was like, I think towards the end of September, it was like the last weekend of September. And when I looked at the schedule, I kind of chose, uh, the same weekend that there was a BFL two day event there. So that way I could compare notes and kind of see with what I was catching compared to what the weights come in. So I knew exactly uh, if I was on the right fish or not. So when I was there, uh, I arrived to crazy conditions that I had never seen before. Um, and the water, the water was super, super high uh, with the water outflow um, from Wilson Dam. And it was, I think, about 130,000 cubic feet per second because they had got seven inches of rain the night before. So mm-hmm. I kind of dealt with every different condition from current to low. I mean, the water raised seven feet while we were there in the four days. So it was definitely, definitely a little bit uh, nerve wracking because the first day I think I only caught one fish and I went with a buddy of mine, Steve Taylor from who lives in Georgia. So I, I flew in, used his boat and everything. And so by the second day, I was potentially getting spun out with the current and what am I doing? And then somewhere about the middle of the day on the second day, things kind of came together, what we should be looking for. And then it progressively got better the rest of the trip. And and, uh, my buddy caught probably three times as many fish that I caught. Uh, But it was pretty much because of boat positioning and, when I was pre-fishing, I didn't care who caught the fish as long as I saw what the potential was in certain areas. Um, and that kind of helped me going forward to the next, to the actual tournament days. Well, let's tell our audience that you were uh, pre-fishing uh, Lake Pickwick in Alabama, obviously a lake that you had never fished before and subject to uh, different levels because of the Army Corps of Engineers that are adding water to it and taking water out, especially in a time when they had pretty significant rains in that part of the world. Yes, yes. And I I, I talked to a, a buddy of mine, Jimmy Sparks, uh, who lives over there. So he, he kind of gave me some uh, tips to what to look for and stuff. So that came into play. Um, but it was just, uh, we have the Delta out here. And I generally don't fish the Delta very much, even though it's only 45 minutes from my house. 
Uh, I fish one a big tournaments there that I have to go to, but the current there is nothing like the current on Pickwick, and it can be kind of calmed where it's just rolling a little bit, and all of a sudden it's like the flip of a switch. Then next thing you know, the same area you just went through, now it looks darn near like a trout stream that you're used to fishing. <laughs> so they 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 change it, they change it occasionally for you know power generation or water levels or whatever i'm not really sure but there's there's an app that i kind of looked at and i really wasn't sure what i was looking at so i just kind of judged it upon when i fished a bank in the morning when i went back to it the second time i could tell how much the current was running compared to the first time i was there all right so it comes to be game day and you are a Californian fishing, and I'm going to say this once, the Academy Sports Outdoor Bass Nation Championships brought to you by Magellan Outdoors on Lake Pickwick. Probably, uh, I know you fished a lot of big events in your life, but would you say this was probably one of the largest and at the same time maybe the most intimidating because of uh, the quality of fishermen that were there? Yeah, it it was definitely definitely the largest tournament. I fished the U.S. Open last year, and that was a big one. I fished a couple of Wild West Championships, and those were pretty big ones. But this one just had so much more potential if you did happen to do well. And you knew that it wasn't just someone that could sign up. It was the best guys from each state, the best guys from the country, so you're going against the number one guys from all around, and, and you know that they qualified. Their road was just as difficult as your road. So there was no one in there by accident. Um, but as far as the fishermen I was fishing against, I mean, I can't do anything about that. I can't control that, but I can control on what I can try to catch and then when I come to weigh, and then I'll worry about what the other fishermen have done. Well, you know, I know not only did you have competitors that were the best bass fishermen from each lake when it came to club fishing, but there was also an international field there. So there was a a fairly decent field of fishermen. Now, tell us, when it came time to actually fish, when the chips were down, what did you find and how did you go about fishing Lake Pickwick? Um, the first day I went out and I was, I was a little bit excited. I mean, not, not really nervous, just more excited and a couple of casts didn't go, go the most accurate and just a little bit of jitters (laughs) and excitement and stuff. So it took me about probably five minutes and then I calmed myself down. Um, and the first day things, I think I had one fish fairly early. Then I went for a while with nothing. And then it just, it all came together, and I was kind of having what I thought was battery issues, but it turns out it was a starter. And the service crews there, they were phenomenal. They got all those issues resolved, so I didn't have to worry about that after the first day. But uh, I ended up having mo- all my weight before noon on the first day. And I caught, my first one came on a uh, Zorro spinnerbait. It was a three-and-a-half to three-and-three-quarter-pound uh, largemouth, and that actually okay that was that was the one that got me calmed down so then after that i went for a break where i didn't catch much and then the rest of them came either throwing the kite tech and then i probably called them out i was throwing a hair jig 
just a homemade hair jig and uh i did most of my damage with that and that was the first day so i had all all of them by noon wow so it seems like with all the things that are on the market you actually and you have enough maturity and you you actually fell back to some old school techniques to catch these fish uh dart head spinner bait and man a bucktail jig i can't tell you Once the last time I've used a bucktail jig, with maybe the exception of a flat fall in freshwater. Yeah, I mean, most most of the people, if they were looking at what I'm throwing, they would say, "Well, you fishing for stripers or or what?" But uh, and the the drum fish, don't get me wrong, they loved it. Um, So they, uh, I caught just as many drums or maybe more drum fish than bass. So uh, every once in a while. I'd set the hook into a fish, and I told my non-boater, like, for example, the first day, I set the hook, and I thought I got another drum, and then all of a sudden the drum fish turned into a bass when it jumped, So then, uh, and it was a six-pounder. So I caught that one probably right close to noon on the first day. So that was, that was a big lift for me. Wow. Great. Now, you know, let's just speed up to the last day. Going into the last day, where were you, and how did the fishing go for you, and what were some of your thoughts as you were proceeding through the day going up to the weigh-in? Um, last day, it was super cold. It was 27 degrees. All the conditions were different, clear as a bell. I mean, extremely cold. Uh, so I started on a stretch that I thought I could catch a couple fish, and I think Jacobo... Uh, Hopefully I pronounced that correctly from Italy. Uh, he was on the same bank as I was and I kind of figured he would be there because I saw his non-boater catch a big one there the day before. And what a, what a great guy that was. Uh, I mean, he's just awesome guy. I ended up talking to him, but anyways, um, I ended up catching a fish early uh, on a Kitek, little 3.3 on my dart head. And I was throwing the hair jig, but the current wasn't moving as nearly as much as it should have been. So I never caught anything on the hair jig uh, early. So then I proceeded to lose my second fish, which was a three to three and a half pound smallmouth on the Kitek. And then I proceeded to lose my third fish, which was a three and a half to four pound smallmouth on the Kitek. And then I was kind of going through my head and, and the wheels were getting close to coming off, but I was able to keep things together and I changed hooks with less of a, a wide gap hook, and I went to a smaller hook so those bigger smallmouth wouldn't spit it as easily. And then I put three keepers in the boat uh, on that fairly quick. And then I went back to uh, the hair jig because when I went back to where I started, the current was rolling twice as much as it was. And I figured if I could catch my fifth keeper that I would most likely have a spot in the classic. And I did not... Uh, feel that I had enough to win it. I figured I, I needed 14 to 15 pounds to win the whole tournament. And I probably caught my limit, I would guess, around 11 o'clock on the last day. And then I bounced around and cold up just ounces here and there. So I had 11 and a half pounds, probably 12.45 to 1 o'clock. And I was thinking, I, I made the classic and in my head. I was doing the math and, okay, someone three guys would really have to catch them to knock me out of that. Then I ran to a spot that I really wanted to be on. There was a boat on it. 
I continued to run to the next spot. There was a boat on that. I finished up on the one spot, and I caught a four-and-a-half-pound largemouth and then a three-pound, one-ounce largemouth. And then at that time, it was about 1 o'clock, and I felt I had a shot at winning the whole tournament. Okay, and uh, you're at the weigh-in. Uh, what happened? Where did you weigh in, in in comparison to the other guys? And when did you finally realize that, hey, man, I made it? I I kind of had that idea fairly early because the gentleman who was in second place, um, he had, uh, I talked to him. He came by and asked me how I did, and I told him I did pretty decent, and uh, he he had some boat issues and he only had three fish. And so then I kind of knew that the other guys, I had a big enough lead. I think I had almost an eight pound lead on third place. So I knew second one, second place was the one I was worried about. And the other guys, they really had to catch them. And the guy, the guy who ended up taking second, he, he did catch them really good, but I had enough to hold them off. And so I kind of, kind of knew before going up to the stage that I had won it. Um, so I was, I was pretty happy about it. Well, congratulations uh, to you, Randy. Now, not only did you win a berth to the Bassmaster Classic, but there were a lot of other goodies that were involved in this. Can you basically, uh, uh, tell us all the booty that you took home from this event? So, so I won a spot in the Bassmasters Classic. Yeah. I won a fully rigged Nitro Z21. Or no, Z, Z20, correct, Z20, uh, with the 225 uh, Mercury Pro XS. Uh, I won the use of a boat. I'll be running the uh, Bass Nation uh, Phoenix uh, boat with a Mercury on that. So I'll be running that in the tournaments. I won a spot on the Elite Tour uh, with a credit towards the entry fees. And then I won paid Bassmaster opens of my choice the central or the eastern uh paid entry fees wow, so that's wow. Quite a, you know quite have a you considered which one you might take it this time or are you going to really uh you know really focused on the Bassmaster kyle essex now that's going to be uh in february up in nashville um actually the 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 elites they start out in february in florida and the classic is in march in knoxville so I'm actually going to do, I'm planning on doing, uh, obviously, the classic. I'm going to be fishing that, and I'm going to step it up and throw my hat into the ring on the elites, and I'm going to do the opens as well. So I've got a full schedule. Work Work hasn't been uh, uh, the best for me here lately, uh, so it's the time for me to step it up and, and give it a shot. Um I'm in the gun industry right now, and and in California, being in the sales and <laughs> stuff for for actually gun accessories is not not the right state to be in right now. No, no, not yeah. at all. Well, you'll find uh, a lot more friendly air atmosphere uh, over there, and you probably realized that when you were in Georgia and Alabama and everything like that. And just quickly, Randy, before we let you go, the sponsors that helped get you to where you are right now. Uh, sponsors that I don't, I don't have a lot. I mean, Dobbins rods, I just switched over to them about a year ago and phenomenal rods. I love them. Uh, Oh, uh, keeper custom worms, uh, 
they helped me out tremendously. Um, and then outdoor sportsman, a, a tackle and, and gun store in Stockton, and then Cogburn Distributing here in Oakdale. Brian Cogburn is, you know, he helps me out tremendously, and that's pretty much it. I, I, I don't have a lot, and I need to, I need to work on a few to try to figure out how to make it happen going on the elite tour with all the travel. I understand. Well, this grassroots efforts of yours to make it to the Bassmaster Classic, did you ever sit down and figure out what were the odds of making it from where you started? I haven't figured out the odds, but what I've been telling people that this is my wildest dream. So, I mean, it's just, it's something that a fisherman who competes, they think about it and you just kind of keep on fishing, trying your hardest. And unless you get there in that tournament, you don't have a shot unless you're there. And once you get there, you do have a shot. And, and that's why I kept on reminding myself, once I get there, I've got a shot. And I got Randy, there, and, you know. Ha- yeah. ha- have you have you ever been to a Bassmaster Classic as a spectator or, or anything at all? Do you know what you're I to not. expect? I mean. It, it, it's an amazing, amazing feeling to be at a Bassmaster Classic, even if you're not fishing it. And so I just can't imagine how you're going to feel when you step into the ring and, and get to be there. I mean, the energy is amazing. And everybody just, you know, it, it, it's just, they're going to be cheering you on. You're going to be, you're going to be a star. <laughs> Randy, we look forward to seeing you on Championship Sunday for the Bassmaster Classic. Weighing in fish and being in contention, man. Go out and get them. You'll do us proud. Okay, I appreciate it very much. And just just hearing that, I mean, thinking about it gives me chills, and I, I can't <laughs> wait. And, and uh, I will definitely try to represent California well and, you know, give it all I got. And, and hopefully, I mean, like I said before, if I'm not there, uh, I think Ken Moss said it best, if, if you're if you're in the game, uh, then you got a shot at the game. So, uh, you know, so I'm in it. So I guess I got a shot, and I'm gonna give it a shot. All right, Randy Pearson. He is qualified for the 2019 Bassmaster Classic, fishing up through the Bass Nation Championships. Randy, thank you for being with us. The best of luck, and we're gonna check in on you after the classic to see how it went for you. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. You guys have a great Thanksgiving. Hey, thank you. You too, and congratulations. Hey, Hey, listen, we're going to take a break right now, but coming up next, lead engineer for the Port of San Diego, Eric Guerrero is going to be with us. He's got an update with us for us on the Shelter Island Launch Ramp Project. Stay tuned. There's still a lot more Ron Real Radio to come. Are you ready to sell your current boat and upgrade in preparation for the 2017 fishing season? It's sure to be one for the bucks. I'm Zach Zorn and a broker for Kessler Yachts located in San Diego. As one of the largest and most reputable brokerages on the West Coast, I can ensure that your boat will be sold in a timely manner or that your dream boat will be found. If you want to sell your boat or looking to purchase one, call Zach Zorn at Kessler Yachts, 760-815-8866 so that your name can be added to our long list of satisfied buyers and sellers at Zach Zorn, 760-815-8866. If you're serious about your fishing, choosing the right tackle is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. 
Iserline makes premium fishing lines including monofilament, Dacron, Spectra, fluorocarbon, battle-tested harnesses, and top angler-tested Iserline tools and accessories. Iserline premium fishing products are created to provide you with the ultimate in strength, dependability, durability, high abrasion resistance, low stretch, and high quality. All Iserline products are 100% guaranteed against manufacturing defects. You just can't buy better value. Iserline will replace or repair at their option. No questions asked if you're not pleased with any of their product. Catch what you've been missing. Quality guaranteed. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. The warm weather is here and our lakes and rivers are brimming. Just remember, if you love California and you love to boat, please wear your life jacket. And make sure everyone with you puts one on, too. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Hey, welcome back to Ron Real Radio. And we want to remind you, this segment of Ron Real Radio is brought to you by the Rockley's Fish Release System. Now you can release fish back to the depth that they came from safely that are suffering from barotrauma with the rock lease fish release system. Look for the rock lease at your local tackle dealer. Hey, Wendy Toshihara and I, we want to welcome you back to Rod and Reel Radio. And we want to welcome to the show a fellow that we've had on, oh, quite regularly since about May of 2018, going over what's happening at the Shelter Island Launch Trap. He's the lead engineer for the Port of San Diego. One of his responsibilities is the Shelter Island Launch Trap, but I've got a feeling it's not going to be for much longer. Let's welcome to the sh- him to the show, though, Eric Guerrero. Eric, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much. Good to be here today. Hey, well, it, we are happy to have you here especially giving us the update that you're giving us on the launch ramp and what you can, you know, predict going to be happening in the foreseeable future. Okay, we are actually just about wrapping things up at the construction site at this point. So, uh, you know, I know some of your folks are out there regularly kind of following up on construction, checking on things. Um, As of the end of this week, we should be, finished with uh, the majority of the boat launch improvements uh, as far as the boat ramp goes. Uh, floating docks should be in place. Uh, gangways are scheduled to go in by the end of this week. The only thing that will be pending is a portion of the connecting roadway. So um, I, at this point in time, just looking at the general project schedule, we have about another three weeks to go, uh, a month at most. So uh, we will be putting out a national public update sometime by the end of this month with an exact opening date to the public. Well, that's exciting. Eric, uh, I also understand that uh, will the ramp be open just a little bit earlier so that the uh, the SEAL tour uh, 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 vessel can start launching there again before the general public is allowed to go there? That is correct, and as a matter of fact, that happened this past 
Friday, John, uh, the SEAL tours were able to resume their regular operations this past Friday. Um, they are utilizing the ramps, as you recall, their operations is slightly different than, you know, the majority of the boaters out there in the sense that they do not require an actual floating dock to get on and off their boats. So um, the boat launch itself, the ramp is accessible, and uh, we actually have a portion of the roadway already connecting to the new ramp on the east side of the basin. So uh, the portion of the connecting roadway that is missing is the western portion of the ramp, which is the exit lanes. Um, so once that exit lane is finished up and once we have the floating docks and the gangways in place, we should be ready to reopen uh, to the public. Wow. You have to be excited about this, Eric, because this is a, a project that you would hopefully, uh, you were hoping would only last maybe nine or ten months, and it's been a lot longer than that. I know you've got other projects that you're working on. I think you're going to feel pretty good about seeing this one kind of completed, but even when it's quote-unquote completed where we can, uh, as a general public launch there, there'll probably still be a bunch of other things happening in the area that the general public will be seeing. Um, yes, absolutely. So once the boat launch is um, complete in the sense of reopening to the public, uh, there are still some minor improvements that will be going on around the general vicinity. So, for instance, uh, one of the major features of this project was actually this uh, public walkway that we built all around the boat basin. Uh, the intent of this walkway is really just to provide the general public with uh, an access uh, to the bay itself is a good uh, lookout spot. Um, that portion will not be open to the public in the immediate, at least not until we have the new guardrails in place. Uh, that is scheduled for some time later in the December time frame. Um, since those guardrails don't necessarily preclude uh, the general public from accessing the ramp itself, we'll be opening up the boat ramp, but again, the, the walkway on the outside perimeter will remain closed until we have the new guardrail finished. Okay. Um, the, other, the other thing to keep an eye out for is uh, we're going to be doing some uh, minor improvements to the general parking lot. So uh, when the boaters re- resume operation of the boat launch, they will have plenty of parking out there, but at one portion of the parking lot may remain closed for a little longer until we finish with this general striping and the roadway resurfacing. Okay. One of the things that Boaters will notice is that the actual end of the launch ramp that's on the approachway side has actually been elevated a little bit. Uh, can you tell us why that was done? Uh, yes, absolutely. The new uh, the new boat ramp design did account for uh, you know the effects of sea level rise as uh, we have been studying for a number of years now. So uh, the new boat ramp is approximately two feet uh, higher in elevation than the previous one. Um, the other thing as far as change that you observe out there is, uh, I mean, the, the overall new ramp is significantly larger than the previous one. We are estimating approximately 80% larger uh, maneuvering space within the basin. Uh, we also have more than doubled uh, the video footage of floating dock, which should increase the capacity of boats, you know, preparing to go out into the bay and coming back. Okay. The the original launch ramp was built in uh, 1953, I think, somewhere around in that mm-hmm. area. And then 
the launch ramp itself, the surface, was redone again, I think, in 78 or 79. When we're looking at the launch ramp now with the materials that we're using that are maybe more modern materials, what type of uh, life are we estimating that you'll be getting out of this launch ramp, uh, Eric? Uh, estimating approximately, John, this point based, you know, uh, typical concrete, so not a whole lot of differences on that. Uh, but uh, just the general materials and the lifetime of the facility, at this point, we're estimating, I hope for the next 35 to 50 years, you know, assuming that all the maintenance is done as planned. Okay. And so I'm. Wendy, I hope we're all going to be around to use this launch ramp until it has to be redone again. I, think I am chomping to... at the bit. I want to get into <laughs> San Diego Bay. That is such an amazing bay. I can't wait. And and plus, I have to pre-fish for the, for the Bay Bass Tournament. Bay Bass Tournament, which is going to be happening, which we feel pretty good is going to be uh, happening. Now, Eric, uh, there will be access to the courtesy docks on both uh sides of the launch ramp there used to be a staircase that was coming down from the walkway onto the launch ramp area is that still mm-hmm. going to be there or is it going to be modified in some way um there is still the staircase that comes if you're referring to that um the area near the public restaurants john yes we're going to maintain that staircase as a matter of fact it's being rebuilt so uh that staircase will remain there and uh we are going to have two uh, decks that will connect to the loading docks on the east and the west side of the ramp. Wow. So it is great. Now, the launch ramp itself is still, is it considered to be like a a 10-lane launch ramp, or was that actually increased or improved during the process? No, the number of lanes remains the same, so we are maintaining uh, 10, 15-foot lanes altogether. Uh, what we did uh, increase, again, we elevated the ramp by about two feet, and the lens are slightly longer now. We had, we had a lot of feedback from the public as far as uh, difficulties with launching boats uh, during low tides. So by raising the ramp, as well as by extending the length of the ramp, we're hoping that it will be able to mitigate some of those issues that were previously reported. Okay, and some of the features that uh, uh, general public is going to notice is, first of all, the the entry to the launch ramp as opposed to the old launch ramp. Uh, how has that been improved? Uh, so uh, during the design phase, John, we actually ran a number of uh, wave studies. So we were pretty much studying different currents, different times of the year, and uh, how they were impacting vessels going in and out of the basin. So uh, one thing that we modified was uh, the entrance to the basin itself, uh, a lot apart from the fact that we uh, increased that overall opening by about 20 feet, uh, we also moved it over to the center. So uh, it should uh, mitigate some of the, again, some of the issues we've had with the currents in the past, but also we will address a lot of the traffic concerns by placing that opening right in the center, uh, both to be able to maneuver more freely within the middle portion of the ramp itself. Okay, and then the actual inside dimensions of uh, uh, the, the, the marina area itself that is inside the coffer dam, that area has been increased by a fairly large or substantial percentage. Can you tell us approximately uh, 
Uh, what kind of increase the uh, the public's going to be seeing there? Uh, yeah, so that's uh, what we are you know, generally referring to as the neighboring area, which goes from from uh, you know from floating dock to floating dock on the east to west side. Uh, I don't have the exact square footage, but I know we have been estimating about an eighty percent increase on the maneuvering area. Okay, and the the actual depth of the basin itself was that also uh, made deeper so that uh, maybe larger boats can get on out, and that it is deeper going out towards the entry. I know the the entry of the old launch ramp either silted in or at low tide uh, was sometimes difficult to get through. Uh, will we see a, um, a a deeper basin to the launch ramp? Uh, yes, uh, and again, that you know the difference in depth is going to vary. This has been an interesting project. Actually, there have been, <coughs> excuse me, there have been many different twists and terms that has made uh, things that have delayed the project. But it sounds like you're on the road now. And can you foresee anything that might be happening that would further delay the project at this point, Eric? Um, honestly, John, not really. At this point, we as of this last. Saturday, we have installed all of the piles in the project, pretty much everything that would be underground. So uh, that pretty, pretty much eliminates all of the unknown circumstances. At this point, everything that could be thrown at other things that we should be able to address more readily. So, uh, no, I like to think that at this point, unless we're talking about, you know, uh, an act of nature, we should not be foreseeing any more significant delays out there. All right. And, and, how will people be notified that, hey, this is the day. This is the day you can come on down and, and finally launch. It's, is there going to be that uh, you're aware of uh, uh, some uh, type of uh, public ceremony? Is everyone going to get an email? Will it be posted on the Port of San Diego site? Uh, how is the day going John. to be uh, announced? Yeah, so well, as soon as we have the exact date pinpointed, we will be, first of all, publishing it on our web page. Uh, I think we've informed the public before, but if you have any questions regarding the project, you're welcome to visit the Port of San Diego's web page. Uh, we have a page that is dedicated to this project. Uh, we'll also be informing local media outlets. I will make sure to let you know as well so that you can get you know all your listeners up to date. Um, and then later on, there will be a formal ribbon-cutting ceremony. We don't currently expect to have the ribbon cutting ceremony prior to opening up to the public, and we're most definitely not going to hold up, you know, establish public access because of the ceremony. So again, there will be a formal ceremony later on on a date to be announced. But uh, prior to that, we expect to establish public access. Well, Eric, I hope we can get in contact with you just right before the opening, so we can get the the official date. And I want to thank you on behalf of all of our listeners and all the recreational fishermen for staying in contact with us over this time, giving us the ups and downs of the project so we can more fully understand what was involved. And congratulations. I, I think we're going to have a, a world-class launch ramp over here that 
not only can San Diego be proud of, but will be in use for many, many years. And we want to thank you so much for the part that you had to do with uh, making it that way. Thank you very much, John. It's been it's been a long road, but it's uh, very exciting to be coming to an end uh, again, especially being able to reopen this to the public one All more right. time. Uh, thank you again for your time, and thanks for allowing us, you know, to provide the token update on your platform. It's definitely much appreciated. All right, Eric. Thank you so much for being with us, uh, and uh, again, thank you for all the hard work that what you did to get this project going. Great. Thank you again. Have a good one, John. All right. Hey, uh, Wendy and I are going to take a break right now, but coming up next, Captain Evan Salve from Salve Sports Fishing. We're going to catch up with Evan on what he's been doing in between the Bisbee Tournament and the Cabo Tuna Jackpot and maybe some things in between. So stay tuned. There's still a lot more Ron Real Radio to come. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect, finally a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main and El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. He's not just my fishing buddy. After 30 years, he's a brother, and I'd sure hate to lose him. His bass boat's got nothing to do with it. So I make sure both of us wear a life jacket. Save the ones you love, even if they don't own a fancy boat. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Quantum Fishing's gone and done it again for you with the brand new redesigned Smoke PT Reel Series. Everything from your spinning reels all the way to your bait casters. The PTA design has the new PTXA frame. Lighter, stronger, bone-crushing drag, quantum fishing. We are performance-tuned. Check them out at Angler's Arsenal in La Mesa or anglersarsenal.com or give us a call at 619-466-8355. Attention Rod and Reel Radio listeners. Be sure to check out the Code Group mobile app. You can listen to the Rod and Reel Radio show live along with show archives without internet access. The Code Group app has all kinds of cool features for fishermen, including daily Southern California saltwater reports, weather reports, episodes of inside sport fishing, marine traffic, and much more. Get the free Code Group mobile app by texting the word REEL, R-E-E-L, to 90407, or enter the words Code Group in the App Store on your smartphone. It's a big deal, you know. I've always wanted to be on Rod and Reel Radio Line. <laughs> I won the Bassmaster Classic. I did a, a McDonald's commercial, but now I know I've made it. I fulfilled my dream. <laughs> that is just absolutely awesome. 
Hey, welcome to the second hour of Rod and Real Radio. Wendy Toshihara is with me tonight. Stan Vandenberg, he happens to be in Texas visiting with family, and we'll be back all together here in just a couple of weeks after Thanksgiving holiday. But, hey, let me introduce to you our first guest. We had him on last week because he was fishing what arguably is two of the largest fishing tournaments at least on the West Coast, maybe in the world. They're obviously the most lucrative. He had done extremely well as being the skipper of the winning team to win the 2018 Bisbee Tournament. He was going right over the next weekend to fish the Western Outdoor News uh, a Cabo Tuna Challenge. You know, you know, some people may think that these events are actually a huge party disguised as a fishing tournament, but they're actually pretty serious. Let's welcome to Ron Real Radio again, Captain Evan Salve. Captain Evan, how the heck are you? Hey, what's going on, guys? I am doing uh, fantastic here. Beautiful Sunday. I'm back in the grand state of California. So, uh, and still on cloud nine? Home. What? And still on cloud nine? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm still floating up there, but the, the skies are clearing, and I'm about to float down to Earth. You know, we got to reset and take on the next challenge. But uh, man, yeah, I'm feeling great. You know, how could you not be feeling great? We uh, little break from Cabo. You know, I'm heading back down there in a, in a week or two, but uh, home for a little bit of time. Spend some time with the family around Thanksgiving. Probably gonna do a little bit of fishing while I'm home. You know, down south in San Diego here. But, uh, yeah, feeling great. All is good. Life is good. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing great. Great, Evan. Hey, Evan, let's just do a little review because, believe it or not, there may be some listeners listening this evening that weren't listening to us last week when we were talking about how you did in the Bisbee. So, as a quick review, can you tell us a little bit about the Bisbee tournament, what your role was in, and how your team did and what the final outcome was. Yeah, you know, we had a, we had a really good year this year in the Bisbee's Black and Blue. Um, we ended up winning uh, the whole tournament. Took two and a half, uh, two and a half dailies, uh, won just a hair over $3 million. And uh, all in all, a really, really great experience, as it always is. You know, we, uh, we fished the full, the full, the full Conlon tournament circuit loop this year, as we did last year, and uh, you know we're we're really happy, you know, obviously with the Bisbees and you know with with our with our with our total results here. You know, it was a great year down there. Really happy with it. And, and tell us, what was your final outcome? I mean, what was the fish that made it for you? And just tell us a little bit about the circumstances that the jackpots had accumulated to the point that you could really bring home most of the marbles. Yeah, the way these turns are pretty much all laid out nowadays is you uh, you pay kind of a base entry, right? Uh, usually fairly low, and then each team can kind of determine how much they want to bet, you know, and uh, on, on a scale, uh, you know, branching upwards from that base entry. So, you know, there's, say, 1000 2000 3000 $5,000, $10,000 bets maybe $20,000 masters they have in the Bisbees, you know? So as an individual team, you can say, Hey, how much do I want to, how much do I want to gamble on the side pots in this event? And, uh, you know, our particular team 
you know, the, the team that I fish on that I that I compete with uh, in most tournaments here, we, we usually go across the board. So we did a full the full shebang. You know, we go all the way up to the to the $10,000 jackpot. We didn't do the $20,000 jackpot this year, but very few people do. We we went up to the 10, and that's going to put you uh, that's going to put you in contention for for basically a million dollars a day. You know, if you sweep a daily. Um, you know, usually it usually clocks in at just a hair under a million dollars. You know, to either a hair over a million dollars, somewhere around a million dollars, depending on how many teams they get and how people bet. You know, a lot of times it's going to be over. You know, maybe towards a million and a quarter, million and a half. Um, you know, usually uh, a team that wins this tournament is going to win a daily, and then they're going to catch the biggest overall fish from the entire tournament. So. They're gonna, you know, win usually in the in the vein of a million to a million and a half, maybe, you know, two, depending on how, you know, the previous or or post, uh, you know, dailies after the day they caught their fish layout. Um, this year, kind of fortunate circumstances for us. You know, the first day there was only one qualifier caught. The team that caught it was not across the board. They were only in some of the lower dailies. Oh, some money rolled over to the second day. On the second day, there was no. No fish brought to the uh, to the tournament scales, so that day's money rolled over to the third day. So you had a, a a third day of fishing in the black and blue that basically had two and a half dailies, you know, up for grabs, up 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 for the team that was going to catch, you know, the biggest fish on that day. So uh, it was a really a, a great situation. I mean, everybody was going into that day knowing knowing what the stakes were. You know, it's it's going to be a big day, and it's it's pretty rare to have it lay out like that. You know. Usually, most years, there's at least a qualifier on a day. Very rare to see two, you know, two days, uh, two and a half days, you know, all stacked up and onto the last day there. So, fortunate for us, you know, it was a great uh, a great way for the money to stack out. And we got a good bite. We got a 510-pound black marlin, you know, halfway through the third day. And it, uh, it helped through to the end. And that was it. That is history. Well, it was history, but there was a little bit more drama uh, involved with it, especially on your part, and a part of that was getting to the finish line. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the fact of the matter is it's a big fish, you know, and, you know, we, we, we go into these tournaments prepared and with the mindset of catching a big fish. Uh, when you have a fish of, of that caliber, you know, a 500-pound fish on the line, when you have our fish as a bait fish, you know, when you were – fishing relatively light, you know, leader, relatively light gear compared to what it could have been, you know, because we weren't necessarily using our chair gear that we, you know, we have 130-pound class chair gear that, you know, we, we run most of the time. We had it on kind of the lighter end of our of our, of our tournament kind of setup spectrum. Uh, we fought the fish for two and a half hours, which is, you know, again, it's kind of on the upper, upper end of the time scale. Uh, you know, a lot of times if we would have hooked that fish, on a little different gear, we would have had it a lot quicker. But you know, that was just part of our program. You know, we, we we knew what we were we knew what we were setting up with. We knew what we were putting out. You know, and it was it was a tough fish. You know, it's it, that's just how it is. And there's a lot of pressure on the line. There's obviously a lot of money on the line, but you try to kind of put that in the back of your head and just make sure that you're doing things, you know, technically correctly. Making sure that kind of the fundamentals of fishing carry through. And, um, you know, it's just another fish. And if you can keep them pinned and not make any mistakes for a couple hours, it's going to give you a really, really good shot at a lot of money. And fortunately for us this year, uh, through the duration of the fight, through the duration of the experience, uh, you know, luck was on our side. And 
we were able to to run a really good program and get that fish uh, get that fish through the door and you know get it onto the scales. So uh, we uh, it's just a it's a testament to the team, you know. And and I think it really comes down to a lot of people and a lot of moving parts and everybody plays a role, you know. On our tournament team, our guys it's all the same guys we fished last year. It's the same guys we fished the entire tournament cycle with this year. You know, we have a we have a really fantastic crew of people who, you know, all have a lot of respect for each other, um, all have a lot of faith in the program we run, and you know, ultimately with tournament fishing, that is really all you can all you can really hope for and all you can ask for is a is an operation that has faith in a program, and uh, you know, we built a program that we were confident with, we were able to apply it, you know, on the third day exactly how we wanted to apply it, and uh, you know, everybody stuck it through to the end. You know, the bike can happen anytime, and uh, a lot of times you're only going to get one shot. You know, usually you're setting yourself up, yourself up through the pre-fishing, you know, through through the entire tournament cycle. You know, say you're fishing 10, 15 days of tournament fishing, you know, down here, maybe 12 days of tournament fishing. Uh, you're looking for a finite amount of bites, right? If you can get one really good bite on the right day, it's going to make your whole season. If you can get two, three bites... It's going to be a historic season if you can make everything count, you know. Uh, so you're looking for one bite, one bite on the right day, and then you're hoping everything comes together. And uh, and we are certainly happy that it did for us this year. Very, very happy. Couldn't be happier. Well, th- there was a little drama, I understand. You know, the year before, you had gotten aced out by one team that came in with a fish that was – I don't know, what was it, about 20 or 30 pounds heavier? And yeah, it, it cost you first place that, like, that year. Yeah, you know, last year, last year we, we caught the biggest blue marlin of the tournament last year, and it's, it's a black marlin and a blue marlin tournament. And kind of depending on the fishing, sometimes the blacks are biting really well. Last year was one of those where the fishing was actually really good. There was a lot of qualifiers being caught. You weren't necessarily safe with, like, a 450, you know, or a 500-pound fish even. Uh, there was a lot of good fish being caught. So, you know, we got a really good bite on the first day of the tournament last year. Uh, it was a four, 442-pound blue marlin, um, which was, you know, caught in a different area than we, we caught our fish this year. Totally different program. We ran a totally different program last year. And, uh, you know, that fish, uh, we were fairly confident, you know, bringing that fish to the scales. Uh, but unfortunately, ultimately, it was, uh, we have a 14-pound uh, margin that uh, that knocked us down, and the nature of these tournaments, it's, it's really winner takes all. So, you know, if you uh, if you uh, if you lose, you know, on a day, if somebody beats you out by five pounds, uh, they're going to win a million dollars, and you're not really going to be guaranteed any money. We made a little bit of money last year just by uh, by making it through in the overalls. You know, we were able to podium finish. We had fifth place overall. We got a little trophy. You know, we got a little bit of money. But we, we missed out on, on the uh, on the six-figure, seven-figure payout, you know, by a, by a pretty small poundage amount. So going into this year, obviously, we wanted to redeem ourselves a little bit in the monetary department. And, uh, you know, we did to, the, uh, to a degree higher than we could have ever hoped for, you know. And it's just kind of the nature of this fishing, and, and this is how tournament fishing is. You can go out there and... You know, uncork the biggest fight of your career any day out there, and somebody can uncork one a little bit bigger. And uh, there's just so many factors at play. You know, you can do everything right as a team. You can run a really good program. You can get a really good bite. 
uh, and then you got to kind of hope that nobody else does the exact same thing, you know? So, right. Well, I, under, I understand now when you were coming in this year, you were listening to the radio and that same team, they reported that they had a big fish on and was it kind of going through your mind again going, Oh no, not this. Well, this year actually, it actually wasn't the same team uh, this year. We, there was a, you know, last year I actually, believe it or not, we, I saw the, the fish that beat us last year. I mean, the guy hooked it virtually right next to us, you know, so we boated our fish, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and I watched the, the fish that beat us was basically being fought, you know, at the same time. So, uh, I saw the fish jumping on the end of the line last year. You know, I knew we, we had we had something that was going to give us a run, you know, for our money if the fish ended up getting boated. So we went in, and I never saw that fish actually get boated. You know, and obviously you can't look at a fish and know for certain how big it is. But, you know, last year there was no real certainty for us. Even when we put our fish on the scales, we got a good, you know, good weight read out, and we were really happy with what we had. Uh, you know, we, we, we assumed and we had a pretty good feeling that there was, there was competition coming in this year. Uh, the fish that was called in, you know, was hooked and, and boated eventually. Uh, you know, there was indications on our end that the fish might not, you know, be one that was necessarily going to beat us. It was a really good team that caught it, a really experienced captain, a really good boat, a really good crew. Uh, they kept fishing after they boated the fish. You know, and we could we could kind of follow that through the through the live hookup scoring that they have online. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, usually if you boat a really big fish, you know, you're going to head to the scales. You know, if you have something that's going to be a contender, if you know somebody's already got one hanging, uh, you think you have a fish that's going to be closer, it's going to beat it, uh, you're going to go to the scales, too. You're not going to risk uh, You're not going to risk staying out there and having, you know, anything go wrong, and you're certainly not going to lose any poundage on the fish holding it out there in the sun. So the fact that that team kept fishing uh, was kind of an indicator on our end that we might be safe. You know, hopefully we would be safe. And uh, that ended up being the only other qualifying fish caught in the day. So, uh, you know, when, when we kind of gauged that and read that, uh, it became fairly apparent in my head, you know, that just running running my own personal observations and calculations that I, I felt fairly safe with what we had. But you just don't know until until the scales close. You know, you you don't know, and even when the even when the even when the lines are out and the tournament's technically over, you know, a lot of times there's there's teams that, you know, call in a, a hookup. Maybe it's just a stripey or it's a small blue, and they get a quick release on it, and they either, you know, don't get through the tournament control right away. Maybe they forget to call it in. Maybe they lose the fish, forget to call it in that they lost it, you know, or, or for some reason it just kind of gets lost in the lost in the radio calls. So. You know, I'm sitting there looking at teams that may or may not actually still be hooked up. You know, rumors that, hey, is this guy hooked up? Well, while the tournament control is essentially clearing these these people off the list. So until until the scales were actually closed at 9 o'clock, I didn't really accept it for what it was, you know. Once the tournament's over, you generally have a pretty good idea if anybody's still fighting fish. Once the scales are over, you can say with absolute certainty that it's over, it's over, you know. So that's when I breathed a, a sigh of relief and said, hey, I think we got it this year. All right. Eric, we've got to take a break right now, but can I keep you on that you can tell us how you now you changed gears and you got ready to fish the Cabo tuna jackpot. Can you stay with us for one more segment? Yeah, absolutely. I'm here. I'm here. 
right. Hey, we're speaking with Captain Evan Salve from Salve Sports Fishing. He was on the winning team for the 2018 Bisbee Tournament and then went and fished the Cabo Tuna Jackpot. Let's find out how he did, but first, we're going to have to take a break. Wendy and I will be back after these messages. I like rafting. I love whitewater. But I never forget that snowmelt in the river can cause cold water shock. I wear a life jacket always. Anyone with me has got to do the same. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. Hey everybody, this is a message for our listeners from a new Baja Magic Lodge at Cedros Island. Cedros Outdoor Adventures wants to make your dream of fishing Cedros Island a reality. Want to go after giant calicos or yellowtail with the best Cedros Island fishing organization, but you just don't know who to contact? Then give Cedros Outdoor Adventures a call at 619-793-5419, or even better yet, log on to their informative website at cedrosoutdooradventures.com. There you can visit their trip calendar and schedule a trip that's convenient for you. Once again, the phone number is 619-793-5419 or their website of cedrosoutdooradventures.com. I got a garage full of fishing tackle, and every time I get out on the water, I realize I forgot something important. But I never forget my life jacket. I make sure my buddies wear theirs, too. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Hi, it's Tony Gwynn. Nobody treats you better. Nobody beats El Cajon Ford. Hi, it's Tony Gwynn Jr. For years, my dad said it so often. Nobody beats El Cajon Ford. And nobody treats you better. And that's so true. Now I am proud to join the El Cajon Ford team because with them, it's all about family. They treat you right. You're part of our family at El Cajon Ford. Thanks, Tony. We'll see you at Broadway in East Main and ElCajonFord.com. Hey, Wendy and I, we do want to welcome you back to our Rod Reel Radio. We're speaking with Captain El- Evan Salve from Salve Sports Fishing right here in San Diego. Evan was telling us how he was on the winning team for the 2018 Bisbee Tournament. And now we're going to talk to him about changing gears and the next weekend going to fish the Cabo Tuna Jackpot. And Evan, how'd you go about doing that? Coming right off the Bisbees, uh, there was another tuna tournament that came right before the, the Los Cabos tuna jackpot. It was actually an event that Pelagic put on, uh, their, their Cabo Rockstar tuna jackpot. It was the first year they did it. Um, so we actually signed up for that one right before the Los Cabos tuna jackpot. Um, and we switched gears. You know, we just kind of switch your program over. You know, we, we're prepared for both. You know, we fish a lot of tuna up here, obviously. Uh, I love the, the Cabo region's tuna fishery. It's very dynamic. Some of the biggest yellowfin in the world, and really a lot of shops at good fish this time of year. Uh, so we, we made our transition basically, you know, right after the Bisbee stuff kind of died down a little bit. We, we put away the big year, 
uh, actually we kept it a lot of the big year out. We just kind of changed what was on the end of it uh, and started out with a small tournament in small being relative. Uh, it was the first year they're doing it, so the participation wasn't quite at the level of the, of the Las Cabos Kino Jackpot, but a great little event. And we actually ended up winning that event. Uh, we swept two dailies, ended up winning uh, $101,000 off that event with a, a two... I believe a 246 on the first day and uh, I think a 220 or 222 or something on the second day. So that was our little primer tournament for the Los Cabos jackpot. We were feeling pretty good, pretty warmed up, you know, had good results, good pre-fishing, you know, a really good tournament leading into it. Uh, we entered that tournament with a, with a great plan, a great program, for, frankly. I mean, we were ready to go. First day was slow for us. The area that we looked at and pre-fished, uh, you know, the day before, the area that had kicked out, you know, basically two dailies worth of fish. I mean, we swept that whole first tournament. We won both days, basically took all the money on the board. Um, that area was a little dry. We, we, we bugged around. We never really got them at the first day. Uh, we made a little shift on the second day, a little bit of adjustments, and uh, got back on them on the second day, hooked a really good fish at about noon. Uh, it was a bait fish. Uh, on relatively light gear, you know, I'm talking 100-pound fluorocarbon, kind of a lighter lighter setup, you know, on the lighter end of the spectrum. And, uh, you know, we fought that fish for two and a half hours. It was a really squirrely fish. It was a difficult fish. Uh, it came up tail wrap right off the bat, right before we were, we were going to stick it. It came untail wrap uh, and basically squirreled out on us. Uh, we didn't see it again for an hour and a half. Uh mm came up real hot again the first time, kind of planed them up. Couldn't really kill the fish up and down. It was just a hard fish for our angler. Managed to plane it up with the boat one time. Uh, almost had a shot on it. Had to kind of let it go back down. Uh, we planed it up again for the second time, and unfortunately, we ended up losing the fish uh, after two and a half hours uh, right at the boat, basically right at the gap there on the second day of the Lost Cobbler's the Jackpot. So that was that was our tournament there. Uh, had a shot. It was, you know, a contender. I don't know if it was going to be big enough to win the whole tournament. It was certainly a contender for a daily fish. You know, I think a 240-pounder, I believe, won it on the second day. So it was a contender. You know, we looked at it. We had a really good look at it. We had the gaps out and uh, just wasn't meant to be for us. You know, at the uh, the last fish, you know, of our tournament season, managed to be the one that, uh, that eluded us at the end there. But you know, that, that Los Cabos Chino Jackpot's a great event. You know, I was fortunate to, to win a daily in that tournament, I think almost 10 years now ago, uh, with my Uncle Bennett on a fish and autos. And my uncle's actually won that tournament. I think he won it in 2004. And it's a really great event. It's run really well. The entire Western Outdoor News team, my buddy Billy Egan's there, Chuck, you know, Pat, all those guys put on a really great event. It's actually the biggest event in Cabo, you know, when you look at, at boat-wise. Uh, you know, it doesn't really put out the big money numbers relative to the Bisbees, but the great thing about the, uh, about the tuna jackpot is it's a really good family event, you know, and you see a lot of people coming in who aren't necessarily boat owners, but get a really good team of avid anglers together and they can trutter a boat and fish it. It's really accessible for really the full spectrum. You know, you get the, the professional teams, you know, you get the traveling professional teams that fish it. You kind of get the, uh, the, the, the medium in the middle teams, you know, that, that maybe own boats in Cabo, but don't necessarily want to bet, you know, at the level of the Dizzies. And then you get a lot of people from California who just show up down there to have a really fun time and, 
and, and enjoy time with their family and their friends and maybe have a shot at some real money. So it kind of covers the whole spectrum really well. Uh, and it's really a fun event. We really enjoy fishing it at every year. And, you know, luckily for us this year, there was two turn, two turn, tuna tournaments, you know, both, uh, the new plagic one and the lost cobbles tuna jackpot. And, you know, our team, our boat really likes to fish tuna. So it was, you know, it was four days instead of two to, to, to test our tuna medal. Wow. Now, Evan, if you will, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about, uh, uh, Salve Sports Fishing here in San Diego. What do you specialize and what do you like to do? Yeah, so we, uh, you know, this is, I've been having my operation, I think, since 2014, you know, and I'm 26 years old, and I started, I started my operation initially just kind of doing, fishing out of actually San Pedro, you know, fishing, fishing the Catalina, Clemente, Santa, Santa Barbara Island, SBI up there, fishing a mix of bass and offshore. You know, I actually got my start in in, in sports fishing, California, fishing, you know, Calga bass, and I did it competitively for a few years, and, you know, while I was young, and then, you know, transitioned over to the kind of greater sports fishing, you know, scene, uh, you know, in my early 20s, um, you know, professionally at least, and I've always really enjoyed, I grew up, you know, working money-wise and career-wise, you know, fishing, bill fish, and, and bringing boats to Cabo, but passion-wise, you know, what carried me through the winter and spring was those cows of bass. And I started initially and built my, my operation around that. And then uh, I bought a slightly bigger boat. I bought a, a 29-foot crystal liner in 2015. And that allowed me to expand from my, my bass boat to my Ranger bass boat, you know, and, and, and set my sights offshore and, and start to do that, you know, professionally every day on my own rig as a captain. And, uh, you know, we've been fortunate just uh, over the last, you know, three, four years, the fishing has been so fantastic, and there's been a lot of opportunity. And really what it comes down to is opportunity, and, you know, you're going to be a product of the time you live in. And, you know, with, with El Nino in 2015, and then kind of the residual effect and the cycle we're in, and a really bluefin-dominant cycle, you know, with, with a fantastic rate of fish available. Really, from, you know, March, we usually start fishing bluefin in March and, and, and stretch it out to till now. You know, the fishery is still... It's still a great fishery right now. It's still biting, biting and, and inaccessible, you know, albeit far. So, uh, you know, we've been kind of cutting our chops, fishing blues in the last three, four seasons. And, uh, you know, it's been our specialty. And, and, and we really run a program for it from, from March until now. Uh, we're out of San Diego uh, for the last three years. Currently, I keep my boats at Fisherman's Landing. So I pick people up there and we run out of there. And we, we specialize in kind of doing like a full day trip, fishing, uh, fishing from the break of dawn till dark, you know, specializing in catching big bluefin with the kite, you know, skipping the yummy with the dead flyer, you know, chasing foamer fish. We really covered a whole spectrum of that. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been just a really great experience and a lot of good practical knowledge that you can carry with you really up and down the coast, you know, in, in yellowfin fishing down in Cabo San Lucas is not that different than blue fishing, bluefin fishing in California. A lot of the same mentality, you know, a lot of the same technical traits. Uh, it's a different fishery, absolutely. Uh, we fish very differently down there, you know, day to day. It's a very different thing, but a lot of the stuff carries over. You know, a lot of the technical aspects carry over. You know, if you can, if you can kill a big tuna in California, you can kill a big tuna in Cabo San Lucas once you kind of figure out the more localized aspects of it. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, my operation was built on the back of bluefin tuna. And, you know, we don't know how long we're going to be in, in this bluefin dominant cycle. But while we're in it, uh, we like to fish it. And we're going to continue to ride that, uh, ride that train, you know, as long as we can. We're just very, very fortunate and happy as, as captains, as a young captain, you know, as, as a sport fishing professional. And uh, I think everybody can kind of echo, echo what I'm saying when, when I say that we're fortunate to be in the cycle that we're in right now. Wow. You know, the, the bluefin fishing we're having out here, uh, fishing the kite, you know, uh, uh, started more on the East Coast. And then some of the guys got, uh, you know, got onto it fishing the yummy flyer and everything like that. Uh, were there a lot of the techniques that you were using out here uh, on, on the West Coast that you could bring down to Cabo San Lucas with you and, and employ them for fishing for the big fish down there? Well, believe it or not, you know, kite fishing was actually initially developed on the West Coast. The first people who actually applied the kite successfully were members of the Avalon Tuna Club, you know, in the early part of the last century, uh, and they were using it for bluefin tuna predominantly, using, you know, essentially frozen flyers that were rigged and stitched up and, 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 and rigged much in the same ways that we do them now. And, and you know, while we cycled out of that bluefin dominant period and, you know, I think over the last, like, say, 30 years, you know, maybe longer, we haven't necessarily seen the level of opportunity on these big bluefin that we see right now, you know, in, in the decades prior to right now. I think, uh, you know, kite fishing kind of fell along the wayside, you know, and, and, and other things were, were more dominant. But, you know, obviously, when most people think about kite fishing, nowadays you're looking at Florida, you're looking at the southeast, and you're looking at sailfish, you know. Uh, but the yummy fire fishing specifically on the West Coast was popularized uh, more down in Puerto Vallarta in Cabo San Lucas, and then it was brought up here, you know, by captains who had experience fishing down there. I was certainly not the first person to be skipping the yummy. You know, we started skipping the yummy in 2016. I know there's people doing it in 2015. Um, you know, I think we were, in the grand scheme of things, on the front end of it, you know, we were we were definitely doing it before it was is popularized as it is now. Uh, but there was captains who initially brought it up in 2015, you know, in the early half of 2016. And most of those people uh, learned how to skip the yummy in Cabo San Lucas or Puerto Vallarta and some of, some of the southern waters down there. So uh, it's been really interesting to see it develop, you know. Uh, it's a great way to catch fish up here, as it is a great way to catch fish down there. You know, we catch 200-pound yellowfin, on the yummy and Cabo, you catch 200 pound bluefin on it up here. You know, it's just uh, it's a really good presentation for for fish that are touchy and don't like to look at lines. Now, Evan, uh, for people that might be interested in booking with you, charters or whatever it is, uh, what kind of packages are you going to be offering, and how do people get a hold of you? Yeah, you know, we're we're still trying to kind of wait and see how this next season. You know, comes together. I don't like to make any commitments until I know uh, what the fishing is going to be like. Frankly, you know, so we really try to keep a good eye on it. We start fishing bluefin, uh, you know, usually around March. We usually last year we caught our first fish in February. Uh, you know, usually it's not till March and April that we start to see really consistent opportunity on it. Uh, once it gets good enough to the point where I feel like I can take somebody out and give them a real opportunity at it. I'll usually post trips on my Instagram page, which is where I do most of my marketing. It's just my name, Evan Salve, if you're active on Instagram. Uh, and that's where I, I kind of do most of my booking and marketing through. 
And, uh, you know, like I, I really try to build kind of an, an individual custom package. If somebody wants to reach out to me and put a trip together, I try to kind of put something together individually with them where I actually like say, hey, what are your goals? What do you want to do? You know, I, mm-hmm. I don't really just run a cut and dry package on it. They can book a date. They can hold a date. And then, uh, and then, you know, depending on what the fishing is, we'll make a call basically day of or week of, you know, to, to give them the best shot at something real. We're a big fish specialty operation. If there are a big bluefin, if there are 200-pound bluefin that are a viable option, we are fishing those fish, you know. So right now, that's just uh, that's, that's what we prefer to book you guys to do. There's not a lot of charter operations on the coast that commit a lot of time to it. And, you know, in my opinion, do it correctly, you know. So if you book with us, you know, there's, there's a handful of small boat guys who really put the time in, you know, and, uh, and I'd say that we're one of them. So if, if your goal is to kind of experience the kite fishing, if you want to go chase big tuna, you know, from a, from a foamer perspective, you, if you want to jig and pop form, which we get a lot of out-of-state guys, for example, coming in who want to do the jig and pop stuff. Uh, if you're somebody who wants to really look at that 200-pound fish and, and run the program for it and learn that program, then, then we're one of the, one of the operations that, that you should call. All right. Captain Evan Solvay, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us to tell us about fishing down in Cabo San Lucas for the big marlin, the big tuna, also giving us an opportunity to learn about fishing the big fish up here. Uh, thank you for spending some of your Sunday with us to, to give us the story. And if you don't mind, if, can we check in with you from time to time just to see yeah, what you're doing and catch up on the big fish fishing? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, uh, anytime you guys want to want to talk about it, I'm uh, I, if I'm available, I'm more than happy to come on. I love you guys' program. Where's Stan today? Is he on vacation? Yeah, he Stan is, is in Texas. At, he's down in Texas visiting oh, family. Oh my! He's abandoned us. He's in Texas. Oh my! <laughs> oh my! I hey, not that I don't love you guys too. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy, oh my Evan, gosh. Hey, thanks a lot for being with us, Evan. Uh, uh, again, can't appreciate, I can't tell you how much we appreciate the expertise that you've shared with us. And please, Absolutely. let's get, get a hold of you again. Hey, thank you, guys. I really appreciate uh, being on your show. Thank you for uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, love you guys' program, and uh, I uh, I just appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll be in touch soon. Okay. Okay, Captain Evan Salve from. Salve Sport Fishing right here in San Diego. Hey, Wendy and I are going to take a break right now, but stay tuned. There's still a little more Ron Real Radio left before we have to say goodnight. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. The warm weather is here and our lakes and rivers are brimming. Just remember, if you love California and you love to boat, please wear your life jacket. And make sure everyone with you puts one on, too. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Hey, bass fishermen. 
Who do you call for your bass boat insurance? Well, if you're not calling me at 1-800-BASS-BOAT for your boat insurance, you're probably paying too much and may not have the coverage that you need. In 1974, I developed the Bass Boat Program. It is what all the pros use today. The reason? No depreciation or any partial claim for your hull, your big motor, your trolling motor, or your electronics until your boat's 10 years old. That's right. You only pay $250 to get your boat on the water for any partial claim, and we still pay a stated value replacement cost for your boat if you have a total loss. We're the only people in the industry that does that, and that's why we are the choice of the pros. So if you want the best, forget the rest. Just call 1-800-BASSBOAT. Call 1-800-227-7262 or just spell BASSBOAT. 1-800-BASSBOAT. I know there's too many letters, but the T is free and the call's on me. That's 1-800-BASSBOAT, the choice of the pros for Bass Boat Insurance. For more information, log on to 1-800-BASSBOAT.com. Rod and Reel Radio is now available as a podcast you can subscribe to on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. Get notified as soon as new episodes are available, or go back and listen to our past shows. Browse through all of our archive shows at roddenreelradio.com slash archives, and click the subscribe button to get started listening now. Hey, Wendy and I, we do want to welcome you back to Rod and Reel Radio. You know, for the past few years, when Angler's Arsenal was located in La Mesa, Right towards the end of November, beginning of December, depending on weather conditions, we had our annual swap meet. Once a year, fishermen swap meet at Angler's Arsenal. Well, at Angler's Arsenal, we kind of had the facility to do it. We had the yard and the grounds. But since then, we have moved to Lakeside, California. And we were thinking, yeah, we don't know if we can pull it off. Well, we've kind of worked it on out. And yes, there is going to be a swap meet at Angler's Arsenal in Lakeside. Just want to make that announcement. It's going to be December the 9th, and it'll be right here in our front parking lot at 12255 Woodside Avenue. So if you're interested in a great deal on freshwater, saltwater gear, if you want to be a seller, give us a call, 619-466-8355, or put the date down on your calendar. December the 9th at Angler's Arsenal in Lakeside for the annual Fisherman's Swap Meet. Hey, Wendy, this time last week, we were getting all excited because Ron Real Radio was going on a little field trip. We did it, and it turned out to be a lot of fun. You know, I had no idea how it was going to go. I didn't know if you had to split up your lobster between everyone or, you know, made it even or, or how it was going to work. And so, you know, when we first got there, it was really neat. They invited us on board. We all got on board and, you know, some of us brought our rods and, and, uh, we got to fish in between sets. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, what Wendy's talking about is last Wednesday night, uh, uh, Chuck uh, Taft from Sea Adventure Sports Fishing had, invited us to go aboard the jig strike and we kind of advertised it. We had 10 people uh, to go aboard, which was the maximum. And not only did we go hooping, but as Wendy said, we brought our fishing rods. So in between soaking each hoop for about 30, 45 minutes or so in, in between, you know, Captain Pat would take us out to a spot and we'd sit there and we'd catch bay bass and, or have a little liquid refreshment or a little something to eat. It turned out to be, I, I'd have 
a lot better time than I ever anticipated it was going to be. The weather was fantastic. It was like summer, and we got treated to the best light show because there was <laughs> a meteor shower that evening. It And, you know, that, that meteor, the one big one that fell, I wished on that thing. <laughs> I wish we all would get limits. <laughs> well, we didn't get limits because, you know, one of the things we did, we went out when we could. And, Wendy, we had absolutely no tide at all. But right. we certainly caught a lot of bugs, a lot of short bugs. But you brought home good uh, uh, good lobster. Uh, Lori Heath uh, and Rob Tressler, they were with us. Rob Tressler had the biggest bug in about three and a half pounds. In fact, she's been posting pictures how she's (laughs) taken the tails, frozen them for another time, but she's taken all the other parts of the lobster and she's cooking those things down for lobster bisque. So, man, it it was a fun time. It was terrific. And, you know, um, the crew even said to me, oh, we thought we were going to have to pull the pots for you because I guess people don't want to pull the pots. They just want to sit there and watch the crew pull the pots. But that's part of the fun. But I do recommend if you do go, bring gloves. I got blisters. <laughs> Wendy, I, I, I was embarrassed the way you and Lori just showed us on up. You'd get on those, uh, those lobster pots, and we were fishing sometimes in as much as 55, 60 feet of water. And you girls would pull those pots up, and, man, everyone would applaud and cheer when We'd bring them on up, and they were full of lobsters. And and unfortunately, when we had to throw some of them back because they didn't live up to size, uh, it was still a lot of fun cheering everybody on. It was. And, you know, I think the tally that they gave me was over 100 releases of short lobsters. So can you imagine? I don't know how fast they grow, but next year is going to be awesome, I think. (laughs) I think they were saying in order to get a keeper lobster, it's got to be at least seven years old. So uh, we did get, though, a a good share of keepers. We released a lot of lobsters to grow up later. And, Wendy, if we do this again, I think we want to look a little bit more at the tides and maybe do this when we have a little bit more moving tide we might find the lobstering better, and we'd also might find the fishing better, even though we had a good time doing that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I would I wouldn't mind doing it again. It was it was great. I didn't have to clean the boat. I didn't have to cook food. <laughs> All I had to do was jump on and jump off. Oh, what a what a treat that was! Because I I worked late that night and I was hassling trying to get down to the landing uh it was my first time out so i had to buy the lobster card but we went to h&m landing if you need your uh fishing license you can get it there if you need the lobster card and it's a misnomer to call a lobster card a lobster card it's a it's about a (laughs) a 36 inch tape with all this information you got to fill out on it holy christopher but you you have everything there, but the importance of the lobster card, it's the way the Department of Fish and Wildlife can get a gauge on recreational hooping, how good it is, how is, good, isn't, good it isn't, and you can keep a record for the entire year of your hooping. But that's the good news. The bad news is no matter what you do, you have to return 
that lobster card because some of the lobster fishermen, not on our trip, but on previous trips, I understand that when they went to get their fishing license or when they went to get their 2018-2019 card, they were assessed a penalty for not submitting their lobster card. So it's definitely important to do that. That's right. Um, I think it's a $20 charge. And, wow. uh, yeah, you have to make sure. And another thing, too, is you have to write um, how many lobsters you get and the area that you fish. The boat will do the area and stuff and fill that out for you. But before you get off the boat, you have to write down how many lobsters you, you're taking home. Now, Wendy, I have to ask you, what happened or what is in store for all those yummy lobsters that you brought home? Well, I have to say thank you to John. Thank you very much because I got an extra lobster for uh, Merritt, Jenny, and I. And um, we're going to have, instead of a turkey this year, we are having lobster, scallops, and bluefin tuna for Thanksgiving. Wow. (laughs) Man, that is amazing. Now, Wendy, we're going to have to do this again because... Even though we're here uh, at the end of November, lobster season goes into March. And uh, the fishing in San Diego Bay, where the jig strike fish is out of, has been really good. I've got to tell you, we probably caught it on a little bit of of a poorer night. But still, we just had our, uh, our, ourselves so much fun and inviting some friends with us so that we could all sit there and kind of, uh, punch the beehive a little bit and make fun of each other. And come, it, it was for a fun, fun evening on the water. It was. I was at, I was pretty tired by the time I got home. It took me an hour and a half, no, two hours to get home because they had shipped part of the freeway down. So I had to get off the freeway. So I was pretty darn tired, but I made it home and it was a blast. Well, Wendy, thanks a lot. You, you kind of prodded me in going into it and now I, I, I'm so happy that you did, and we're going to do this again in the not-too-distant future, get, get on the jig strike. Love fishing the jig, jig strike. Great amenities. It was comfortable. Plenty of room to get around, and boy, there, there's nothing that the crew would do, wouldn't do for you to help make it a great time on the evening, and we had a good time, and I suggest don't wait for Wendy and I to go out again. Get a hold of H&M Landing, 222-1144. Ask them when the jig strike's going out again. If you can book during the middle of the week, you can get more traps. You can probably get the times that you want. Take a look at the, the tides and go out there and do it. Get a hold of your friends because I, I haven't had that much fun on the water in a long time. Yeah, me too, and I can't wait. So we got to look at the tides. And, and we'll have to go again, make another oh. Rod and Reel radio trip. All right. Hey, you know, Wendy, it's about that time. We want to wish all of our listeners uh, a happy and safe Thanksgiving. Uh, we are going to have a recorded show next uh, Sunday night because the staff at Radio Zion, they're going to be off for Thanksgiving, too. So we're going to send in a best of show. So. Wendy, I want to wish you and your family and Stan, if you're listening out there too, wish you all a happy Thanksgiving and a great Thanksgiving to all our listeners. 
And I will see you on Facebook, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. In fact, if you go to Wendy Toshihara on Facebook, or if you go to Rod and Real Radio on Facebook, Wendy, you posted a lot of pictures of us having a good time on that trip. I, I go back and relive it because of the fact it's, it's, it's going to be a great memory of 2018. That's right. That's going to, yeah, I can't wait. And we should do some kind of uh, Rod and Real Radio collage. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and also, thanks a lot for the great prizes that you brought because, you know, we had 10 people aboard and you brought all the Iserline and we brought some stuff from Western Plastics and Angler's Arsenal. So everyone went home with a, a package of gifts. I think there were a couple of people that didn't go home with lobsters, but some of them went home with two or three. But I think everyone left had, having had a good time on that trip. I think they did. All right. Well, listen, it's time to hang it up for tonight. So on behalf of Wendy and Stan, Otto in the AM540 studios, Ben Harvey, our producer here in San Diego, and always thankful for Big Tuna Bill and Eddie McCune and our good friend Paul Leader from El Cajon Ford that kept us on the airways for so long. We want to thank them, but we want to thank you, our listening audience, for giving up some of your Sunday and maybe putting that ball game aside that's on the, um, the TV right now. You can get to it now because normally the second half is a lot better. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back live in two weeks with Rod Real Radio. Best of show next Thursday night. So until then, guys, go out and get them. Someone's getting your fish. Good night, everyone. We'll see you in two weeks. Good night. <laughs>